Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers. Jesus fucking Christ, Bradley. Listeners, whenever we don't have. I'm just going to make that the end clip. I think it's too funny. (laughs) Oh, listeners, whenever Bradley does not whenever we don't have a guest it's just bradley and me bradley dubs over like the bit where he says i'm bradley brower that's a dub that he's put in he will say something fucking ridiculous to try to throw me off he's trying to you're trying to what is it corpsing in comedy when you start laughing on stage oh i don't know i feel like that's what you're trying to do to me probably you're, you're trying to break me Yes. Right oh, at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah. Of trying the to make show. the other the other person break. Yes. That I, I absolutely what I'm trying to do. I mean, what is this podcast if not you and I just completely taking the piss out of each other for an hour every every week? Yeah, with a little bit of Star Wars trivia thrown in, basically. There's, I mean <laughs> come for the Star Wars trivia, stay for the catty gay nonsense. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of the tagline of the brand. So real fast, there is no real Star Wars news per se, Uh, but Bradley, I did want to bring up an interview that Rupert Friend gave very recently. Okay. We have finally caught up. Uh, We are recording this episode before episode five comes out. So at long last, we are recording an episode without knowing what's in the next episode. Rupert Friend was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, I think. Okay. And they're talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jimmy Kimmel uh, makes a comment. He's like, oh yeah, you got stabbed in the stomach. And Rupert Friend goes, yes, I got stabbed in one of them. Well, interesting choice of words there, Rupert. You could take that more than one way because technically he was in the first two episodes and he didn't get stabbed. So it was like, well, he's, he's saying, he's saying that he has, um, he, he has more than one stomach. The character has more than one oh. stomach. Yes. Oh, he, oh, he, you're mean. Oh, you mean. So, he's got so Jimmy says one of he his got stomachs. I so, see. Yes. So Jimmy says you got stabbed in the stomach, and Rupert goes, "Yes, well, one of them." So. So wait, do we know if that's an actual thing? That 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 is an actual. Uh, the, that is an actual. You know what? Let's please let's look just, that up right now. That I need. I need to know this. Uta-pow. This has to be a right now thing. So they are called the Powan. Uh, let's look at their biology. Does not appear to say on Wikipedia. It does not confirm that they have more than one stomach. However, Rupert Friend is stating that they have more than one stomach. Okay, interesting. Well, that could come back or not. We'll see. But that also, is almost certainly going to come back, come up. But also, like theoretically, even if you did have more than one stomach, let's just say. Uh, I stab you with a sword or something, you are going to bleed out and die, especially if this sword is molten lava that I'm stabbing through you. So you're probably just going to die. Like Fast and, fast and Furious Star Wars, Bradley. <laughs> fast and Furious Star... As, as Dark Side Diva says, Fast and Furious Star Wars. But what's interesting is how, how quickly Rupert rushed to correct him. I mm. We know the Grand Inquisitor is coming back. And I'm yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. sure that's how they're going to explain it away is that the Palins have multiple stomachs. Okay. He got stabbed in one of them, but he still had one functioning stomach. And I guess we- we're going to pull the theory of like, 
the lightsaber is cauterizing your wound the second yes, you get stabbed with it. That's so how lightsabers like, work, Bradley. Yes. Yeah, they doesn't and, continuously melt and, your flesh or anything, but whatever. Hold on, I take this a step further. Uh, he loses one of his stomachs, and this is why he becomes a skinny legend in Star oh. Wars Rebels. Oh my god. Yes, this this is how they do it. It has nothing to do with the fact that Rebels is stylized animation. Right. At all. No, it is completely no. accurate. And also, the Grand Inquisitor changes because he gets stabbed in one of his stomachs and he gets right. skinny. Yeah, Reva like gave the- him emergency lap band surgery <laughs> with a lightsaber. Sir, all of all of the gay men are shaking. They are stunned. They're like, how they do I screaming, crying, throwing up? Do that. How, how do I do that? Where do, do I, I get do a that? lightsaber in the stomach? Yeah. <laughs> there was also uh, an element. Well, did you want to talk about the runtime now or did you want to make that the thing that, that you didn't like? Oh, I actually, I didn't mind the runtime. I don't, I don't, that wasn't on my thing I didn't like. Okay, let's just talk about the runtime now then. Yeah, let's talk about it. So there was another thing too, Bradley, you were mentioning in the pre-meeting. Uh, before we dive into the episode title and summary and all that, yeah. You were noting something weird about the runtime for this episode. Yes, I did. And we calculated, and this is by far one of the shortest Star Wars episodes of television. I think it may be the shortest live action one. I believe yeah. the Eris was 35 minutes. This one we calculated down to about 30. Right. Yeah, I we I mean I haven't gone once back you, and looked at every single runtime for right. all the Mandalorian and everything, but you know. Once you remove the the intro and the credits, this one is only about 30 minutes long. Yeah, which is insane how quickly that is. It doesn't was, feel like 30. I have pages of doesn't. notes still. Well, you know what I will say though is when I was doing my notes though, I did find it really hard to section out the action. Like it felt like, you know, you're once you're in the fortress like you're in the fortress and like that's the whole entire scene you know what i mean like there's not much that you can do jumping around wise to kind of segment stuff because you keep going back to just another character it, story it jumps between yeah it jumps between three separate parallel yeah. stories that are happening right pretty seamlessly uh there was a lot of complaining i mentioned this on the last episode but there was a lot of complaining about how this episode felt like filler right and it's like nothing in this matters. I'm like, mm-hmm. first of all, you people don't know what filler is. Uh, stuff happens in this episode that is relevant to the plot. But also, the thing about short episodes is that a short episode is not an indicative of quality. We touched on this last time, but the episode is part of a six-part story that is clearly intended to be viewed in order. And I don't think it's serving it necessarily as well to release it every week because Mm. then places where it's slowed down or it's clearly setting something else up are thrown into more stark relief. But on the other hand, the fact that it's only 30 minutes of content and the whole plot is just he goes and he rescues Leia and that's it doesn't mean that it's a bad episode. It gets in, it does its job, it gets out. He could have putzed around the Fortress Inquisitorius for another 15 minutes and it would have right. added shit to the plot. Or they could have even added some bullshit C storyline with O'Shea Jackson character doing something off world, like just right. trying to like cut back and forth, you know, just to pad out the runtime. And I'm glad they didn't because that would have honestly yeah. probably ruined the episode. 
No, it's an extremely tight episode. Again, I bring up the heiress is one of my favorite episodes of Star Wars television. It's only like 35 minutes. Yeah. It's in, it's out. It tells what it needs to tell. And this episode is very much the same way. It is about Obi-Wan and Tala breaking into the Fortress Inquisitorius to rescue Leia. And that is the end of it. You know, would I like more because I just like more Star Wars? Yes. Do I want that more to come at the expense of the work itself? Absolutely the fuck not. All right, Bradley, go ahead and take us into the episode. All right, we're talking about episode four titled Part Four. Uh, This week, Obi-Wan Kenobi plots a daring mission into enemy territory. Reva holds Leia prisoner and Kenobi and Tala break into the Fortress Inquisitoris to lead a daring rescue. What's one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not? So one thing I liked about this episode, so I have loved, I loved the Fortress Inquisitory. Spoilers for Jedi Fallen Order about to abound for the entire rest of the episode, but <laughs> I have been a fan of the Fortress Inquisitorious since that game. And I think this episode does a very good job of capturing the same vibe of going through the Fortress Inquisitorious in the game and discovering like the prison block cells and fighting your way through these hallways and just the overall vibe of it i think replicates that very well and so it was a very cool experience for me to like watch obi-wan kenobi go through this fortress i talked about last time how the exterior is a little bit different the interior is an absolute spot-on match oh like that is the fortress inquisitorious that is what it looks like inside which i thought was really really cool So this is not my opinion. I'm just sharing something that I read online. Someone had stated that this episode felt like an entire like DLC added to Jedi Fallen Order. Like if you could just randomly like take out Kenobi and make it, you know, Cal Castus and it, this would have been like DLC, like your mission is to like break in and get somebody out, you know? Well, I mean, that's kind of the plot of the mission in Fallen Order. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go uh again major spoilers for fallen order but uh i'm gonna try to be as vague as possible but the the last level of the game is you break into the fortress inquisitorious oh, to okay. get something i'm not Got gonna it. say what that something is but you break into it to get something and then you have to escape from it as well cool. but yeah it, it feels like this would be like a side thing like oh we had all these maps from the final level let's tack obi-wan kenobi in there and yeah it's very much, uh, yet yeah, it thinking about like the Dragon Age DLC for Dragon Age Origins, uh, where they were like, oh, we have some of these same maps. Uh, let's just do a prequel story. One of the DLCs is just, it's the same map from the game and they just slapped a prequel, t- totally different story onto it. Hmm. Uh, one thing I did not like is the fact that you keep asking me this question every week. Uh, it is very annoying to have to try to sit here and off the cuff try to think of something that i did not like very much i am not coming up with a single goddamn thing nothing nothing i'm i'm gonna evoke the rare card okay no i will say one thing it is it is the most minor nitpick but i did think when vader walks into the room his cloak and his movement is a little bit weird okay and it's it's <laughs> it, it may be the lighting it yeah. may be like that the cloak may have been like cgi'd but i found that specific shot when he walks into the room and the cope is kind of sweeping around him uh the cape looks a little bit weird to me he's almost too fast in a way 
is the most minor of nitpicks that I had yeah. to come up with. That one thing looked a little weird to me. I can't put my finger on why, but if I had to pick one thing yeah. about the episode, it's 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 going to be that. Bradley, what about you? One thing you liked and one thing you didn't. Um, one thing I really liked was the uh, the set. Uh, I I mean, I didn't care for the like kind of muted kind of color palette that this episode had. Um, but to be fair, they're all underwater and it's like a very sterile environment. So it's not like you could do that much. But I really like the fortress. I like the design. I love empire design. So I love anything that is like everything shiny surfaces and you know it's like who's mopping this place like I don't know but like I want to know uh, um, no OSHA compliance right exactly um, I don't know how they get unnecessarily away with it, pointy things yeah it's just no guardrails nothing and obviously no security uh underwater uh to like what if a fucking monster comes through the fucking porthole at the bottom like who knows I don't know anyway I that's what I liked I just liked the fortress and quiz doors in general I thought it was really it was nice I I I kind of wanted more Inquisitors because like I wanted to see more stuff happen there instead of just Imperials walking around. But what I did not like about the episode would maybe be, um, okay, here's actually a really good one. Um, I did not like the Wade character, uh, the path, one of the path people, his name is Wade. He's the one who dies at the end. I did not like him because he died at the end and I didn't feel any emotional durbance or pull from that like how it's supposed to kind of feel with the the other characters That's who sat so about it interesting because I had the opposite reaction I was like I don't know who this guy is but I liked that they didn't treat him as disposable that his death at least meant something to the other person no no so I like I, that I had the I like opposite that she reaction had that. I felt nothing when he died. Right. That's what I'm saying. I didn't. But I felt bad for Sully. No, I love the character of Sully. And we'll get to her when we get to her. um, Because I like her for other reasons, too. She's played by a really, really fun actress. Yes. And I I love her so much. That character I really liked in comparison. I just felt like I didn't like his death. It wasn't earned for me. It was probably earned for her because she cared about him. But I needed maybe I just needed to see more of her caring about him. Like, I know they were probably just friends. But like they didn't need to be like romantic or anything, but I needed them to like show us maybe a little bit more connection between them because really they just stood next to each other in the room and I didn't know anything other than just that they right. were working together, you know? So so our story begins with Kenobi waking up from his duel with Vader. Tala puts him in a Bacta tank. Meanwhile, at the Fortress Inquisitoris, Riva interrogates Leia, claiming Kenobi is dead and no one is coming to the rescue. I like that they say get him to the back to tank instead of get him to a back to tank. <laughs> right. It's such an interesting choice of one word because the implication is that the path only has one back to tank. And they probably had to bust ass to get that one back to tank. So I yeah, love you probably had to steal it or something. Like it's not necessarily yeah. a, like super available thing. <laughs> so so when we're talking about screenwriting, uh, my fellow screenwriters out there individual word choices can be super important to how something comes across even the choice of get him to the back to tank versus get him to a back to tank struck me as i was like oh they must only have one back to tank that's so interesting uh i do like that they juxtapose anakin's burns with obi-wan's in the tank Mm, yes 
very uh, again poetry um visual symbolism deborah yeah. chow i trust you with my life <laughs> i was worried when they did put him in though because i was worried that he maybe he had gotten too burned and then they were gonna try to have to deal with like burn makeup the rest of the entire fucking show and i was gonna be like Ooh, this is not i don't want to deal with that like just fix him like <laughs> you know what i mean right no i i mean he comes out early but then he's like Ewan McGregor is unfortunately not running around shirtless for the rest of the show. True. So he does pop out early. I I do want to note here that he says, where's Leia? In the same tone that Luke asks, where's Han in The Last Jedi? So there's our our sequel reference in this one. I do believe Reva screams out traitor at the end of the episode as well. I did not double check to make sure that was the exact line. So it's not in my notes. So if she does scream out traitor at the end, then that, that may also be a sequel trilogy reference. Oh my God. Wow. It's almost like they, someone thought about this or something. Yeah. It's almost like Deborah Chow (laughs) likes Star Wars. (laughs) It's almost like they let people direct Star Wars who actually like Star Wars now. Like it's weird. It's almost like, yeah, (laughs) Star Wars creators are actually watching it's so weird to watch a Star Wars thing where the creator actually watched Star Wars media, not throwing any shade to any particular movies that came out, but it, it is certainly nice to watch a movie where uh, clearly the person watched a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on from that real fast, uh, as fast as I can. I love Leia shouting about how uh, her dad's an Imperial Senator. And here's the reason I love it, uh, because it is exactly the same same type of shit she's going to do in eight years aboard the Tantivib 4. It literally is the same play. I mean, you, you got to throw Senate, it out. Look, the Imperial Senate will not still, still for this. And they hear that you've captured a diplomat. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same shit she's going to try to pull on. She's like, literally going to try to pull this on Vader. Yeah, she's going to be like, um, sir, there is a government out there that is not going to stand for what you're doing you're what you're doing is illegal you're illegally detaining me and i have rights <laughs> oh my goodness and Bruce is like you have no rights here right she's like you're a kid you're on about <laughs> you're a child which clearly is not true because later on in the episode uh Leia calls a bluff pretty spectacularly and and it's clear that like they do not want bail organa to know what's happening right now I'm actually kind of surprised too. Well, now we know that Reva is kind of operating outside of, we'll say the guidelines or like what she's supposed to technically be doing. So she's not necessarily doing anything. Oh, she has massively fucking overstepped what she's supposed to do. Yeah, she's very very illegally doing. Like if anybody knew what she was truly doing, they'd probably be like raise some red flags. I'm sure like if there were any true people in the empire that were paying attention on this base or whatever, and they were like, that's the fucking senator from Alderaan's kid, like being held captive here by these crazy fucking weird religious people like that we don't even like anyway. Well, well, think about <laughs> it. Uh, who are you going to use to staff this base? Right. It's not going to be your run of the mill standard Imperials. That's true. It's going to be people that they trust to be on this base. Very black site people. Very black site people. Like yeah. this is a black site. Yeah, this is like, like this is Guantanamo this Bay, basically. Yes. <laughs> this like, yeah. yeah, this is like Area 51. Yeah, you're not allowed Crossed here. with Guantanamo Bay. Like, mm-hmm. you cannot fucking get in here. No one knows it exists. And we do see that later on. 
uh, when we get to it, but when she's trying to infiltrate, uh, Tala's trying to infiltrate, we see it, they do give her kind of some business to get in. And so, it's yeah, like, we'll get to that scene because yeah. I have a lot to say about that scene. <laughs> uh, the last note I have for this section is I mentioned that Jabem previously was a planet from Legends. Yeah. Uh, and here we actually see it and it is very muddy. Hmm. And that is accurate to what it looked like in the Battle of Jabim. So, oh, nice. Jabim, Jabim, Jabim. I think it's Jabim. Jabim. Star Wars names. Look, we have Tall, Tall, Tal, it's all the same. Tala, and Talls. So, who the fuck knows who the fuck cares? On the planet Jabim, Kenobi is introduced to Roken, a member of the group who created the path. He is reluctant to help Kenobi in his rescue due to his past. The group comes up with a plan for Tala to infiltrate the fortress and sneak Kenobi inside. Yeah, so that is O'Shea Jackson Jr. Finally shows up. (laughs) He has finally appeared. He's not, looks like, been in a lot of stuff. No, he has not. But he has been in one or two things. uh, He was in Godzilla, Gods of Monsters. Yes. He's also the son of Ice Cube, so I guess he is he, the he son of Ice have, Cube. Doesn't necessarily have to do anything to be famous, you know. You can also just be the child. He's of just sort of well. <laughs> there. Yeah, yep. he's just sort of there. He's he's been in a few things, mm-hmm. um, but he's playing Roken here, the leader of the path. One thing that's interesting about Roken is that uh, he calls Obi Wan General. I didn't catch that. He calls him General. He's like General. I understand that, but I can't. So much backstory packed into this one word. Well, so there, that leads me to believe, because he does kind of reveal a little bit more of his kind of backstory where he talks about his wife. And I'm assuming maybe his wife, knowing that who his wife was, like they would have all known that the Jedi were generals in the war. Like that's just something that they or, would have general knowledge. Or alternatively, there was a battle of Jabim. Roken might have participated in it. Oh, interesting. Did people so he, participate in the... Oh, oh yeah, Bradley, it's been a while since you've watched Clone Wars, hasn't it? I guess so. I thought it was only the Separatists that had people that... No, no. The Republic was big on proxy wars. Do you know what a proxy war is? Time for some... Oh, God. Time for a a, a school lesson, you fucking dumb toy. Great. No. So a proxy war is when... It's Vietnam or Korea. It's... Oh, I see. Oh, yes. Okay. I know or Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The CIA was big on these, like in the 80s. What you would do is, is if you, well, maybe not Vietnam and Korea, maybe not, might not be the best examples, but Afghanistan, absolutely an example. So what would happen was the, the governments, the big superpower governments didn't want to like go to war with each other. So what they would do is they would like arm local militia groups to fight for them. And this was a problem because suddenly these armed militia groups have a bunch of weapons. And we see in Clone Wars, this happened a lot during oh, okay. the Clone Wars. Gotcha. On Moncala, it happened. Uh, it was so funny because we were watching the Clone Wars uh, together and we were it was basically that the Republic is supporting the Mon Calamari and the Separatists is supporting the Quarren and the yes. Mon Calamari and the Quarren are fighting each other but really it's I the see. Republic and the Separatists I see now I was yeah. watching I was watching with my boyfriend and and I turned to him and I was like so you know what this is right and he goes yeah it's a, it's a fucking proxy war dude like it's really obvious what they're doing gotcha and then later they will do the same thing in um Afghanistan, sorry, uh, Onderon. Onderon, they will do this on with Saw Guerrero. Well, they will go in and they will say, 
we can't retake the planet, but we can arm and train the militia that does. Gotcha. Okay. And that that militia ends up becoming the partisans, a terrorist group. Oh, okay. So maybe Roken was a part of the Jabim. Yeah, militia. it's possible. It's possible that he was part of the volunteer forces. Got it. Okay. Now, what you're thinking of is the line from Dark Disciple where Dooku is like, Well, everyone who has died in our war volunteers. Right. He's yeah. talking about the clones. Oh, He's talking okay, about the okay, 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 okay. clones didn't volunteer. I now, the see. Republic had people fighting for the Republic on planet. Right. I see what you're saying, because Dooku was trying to spin the fact that they were forcing clones to fight, but anybody who was fighting right. for the Separatists was doing it voluntarily, and it was like, oh, we're, we're just fighting for the cause. It's also it's also propaganda, like, on his right, part. Right, right, right. But my theory is that Roken probably fought on Jabim in the w- Clone War. So I have a question for you. With Roken okay. and his wife okay, that he speaks about. Do you think that this storyline is kind of a rewrite of what the storyline was for Rogue One with Jin Erso's mom? Because originally in the script, she was supposed to be force sensitive or slash an ex Jedi in hiding or something. I think she was supposed to be force sensitive, and I think she might be implied by Catalyst to be mildly force sensitive. But they they may have they may have just arrived at a very similar place. Oh, okay. So in the scene where they're having the the debrief, where they're they're looking at the fortress Inquisitorius, there is a sequence where it's the very first shot, and they're all around the table, and there's a woman that walks along in the background behind them. It is like blink and you miss it. Uh, that is Christina Ariel, and I shout her out because she is one of the coolest people uh, working for the Star Wars media team right now. She's the host of the High Republic show. She hosted a lot of the stuff at Celebration, including the High Republic panel and a lot of stuff on the StarWars.com stage. She's fucking amazing. And Hmm. I just wanted to shout her out because she cameos. She she did something for this show. I'm not sure what she did, but she's thanked in the special thanks of every episode of this show. So she she is. she is an awesome person doing... Really cool stuff. Check out the High Republic show. Follow her on Twitter. She's an absolute fucking delight. And we love her. Uh, she's also been on an episode of Pink Milk. So you can go check that out. She's been oh. on After Dark. So in this sequence where they're talking about the Fortress Inquisitorious, mm-hmm. do you remember how I mentioned that there was a line that implied that they don't know that Cal Kestis exists? Yes, you said you, there uh, some, one of the characters said something. Or... Well, when has become now, Director Krennic? And I will now explain why, because here's the thing. So there was some flack, uh, mostly bad faith criticism, where people are like, oh, they don't know that Fallen Order exists because they say in the thing that nobody uh, has ever broken in. Nobody would be stupid enough to attack the Fortress Inquisitorius when Cal Kestis obviously did. Okay, first of all, you fucking idiots. Do you think that they put in translation of the Fortress Inquisitorius from the game and didn't bother to look at the plot of the game? Are you out of your goddamn minds? Second of all, Cal Kestis is one dude right. randomly on a ship somewhere with no contact with other Jedi, no idea the path even exists. They don't know he broke in. 
No right. one knows he broke in. The Empire didn't go on their equivalent of Fox News or whatever and be like, somebody broke into our top secret black site right. and escaped. No. And who the fuck is he going to tell? He's right. not going to go broadcasting it. The only people who knew that they successfully broke into the Fortress Inquisitorius were probably the four people on the ship and the one droid. Maybe the little lizard thing, if you picked it up on Bogano. But there's like six life forms of the galaxy that are not affiliated with the Empire that know there was a break-in. Right. Like... And then there's stuff that's like, oh, how is Obi-Wan able to break in the same way? Because Reva wants him to. That's that it's explained later in the episode. She's she's trying to engineer a situation where she wins. Either Kenobi breaks in and they successfully capture Kenobi, or Kenobi escapes. She can plant a tracker on Leia to lead her back to the path. Either way, Reva wins. Right. It's a win-win. That's why they don't mention Cal, because there's a very good chance that they don't know Cal exists. It's not like there's like forums that everybody can go on and be like, today I broke into the Fortress Inquisitorius. And then every anti-Jedi group in the galaxy will log on to that forum and be like, right. gee, wow, that's incredible. No, very obviously Cal is one dude on a ship in a galaxy of quadrillions of people they just don't know he exists. Right. And we also don't know necessarily how long ago he did that. Right. So five years ago. Oh, so, okay. So again, that it's been five years since he yeah. broke in. So that's even more of a reason why nobody would even know because it's like that something happened five years ago. Nobody even remembers something that happened a year ago. You know what I mean? So it's well, like, they don't even know. They don't even know what the, the under, water portion of the fortress looks like they only right. have the the spike that's coming out and they say that they got the plans when the fortress was built that was like eight years ago seven or eight years ago these this this schematic of it is that old that's why they need tala to break in mm. and access the schematics because they literally don't have them so yes that is why cal is not mentioned in this sequence uh, I mentioned in uh, in a Discord server that I'm getting a little more aggressive about the bad faith criticisms of this show for some reason on these episodes. Yeah, which I personally am fine with. I, I just I think everybody is like, guys, all will be revealed. Like, just wait. You got two more episodes left. Or like, yeah, two more episodes left. So hey, relax. dipshits! <laughs> hey, dipshits! Press play. Right. That's the answer to your fucking question. Exactly. You bad faith motherfuckers. Press play. It's it's right there. It's, ugh. Like, are there legitimate criticisms you can have of this show? Yes. Am I seeing those legitimate criticisms from bad faith actors trying to get clicks? No, I'm seeing bullshit. You know why I think it irks me specifically? Because I have done script writing for so long and script reading for so long. That it irks me when people present themselves as script experts and clearly right. have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. My last note for this sequence is they mentioned T-47s. Do you recognize the, did you recognize the name T-47 or did you need to wait till the end of the episode to figure out I, what a T-47 is? I needed to wait to the end of the episode and I'm glad you brought this up is because somebody mentioned to me, they were like, that's the snow speeder from Empire. And I'm like, well, sort of. It wasn't like exactly the same, but it was 
the same design. Do you mostly. know why it wasn't exactly the same, Bradley? I will be. Have you watched Empire Strikes Back recently? Uh, the only thing that I remember is that there's two seats. Like it's like a back to back kind of thing. Like okay. it looks like they cut it in half and they screw so, it back together. And this is some more bad faith criticism I'm hearing. Um, is people are like, oh, those are for snow based thing. I don't know how they in show. the movie, in the movie Empire Strikes Back, there is a line where they say that they are having trouble adapting the T-47s to the cold. T-47s are air speeders. Gotcha. Like specifically, they are air speeder. They are designed for in-atmosphere combat. They've got the guns on the front. I'm not sure if they were initially designed for combat uh, or if just they like were cars modified, but these ones are supposed to be for combat and they they are have to be modified for the snow and empire that's why they can't take them out to go look for luke and han has to take the tauntaun out in the movie please listen to the movie it will explain the thing that you are confused about yep so they they have a couple of t-47 air speeders not modified i also had to wait until further in the episode i didn't recognize it right off the bat um i do want to talk about the pilots of those ships the two new characters let's talk about our two pilots wade resellian uh and sully so let's talk about wade first because he has less credits okay so wade is played by a gentleman named Ryder mclaughlin not been in a whole hell of a lot but now he can say he was in a star wars thing been in (laughs) ballers there you go and that is the only thing I recognize on here. There you go. He is relatively new to the game. He only got right. started in 2016 and he's popped in and out. Gotcha. Of a few things. Sully is played by Maya Erskine. Oh, love her so much. Uh, who is most famous at present for being in Pen 15. Now, Charles, how do you watch Pen 15? I have not watched Pen15. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it for you because it is arguably the one of the funniest shows, comedy shows that exists on television or that had existed on television. I think it's, it's done now. They just, they wrapped their final season, but it is so funny, especially if you grew up in the 2000s in middle school and high school. This is Which the show Which unfortunately I did. This show, if you watch the show, you're going to cringe so hard because you're going to be like, that was me in middle school. That was what middle school was actually like. And I think they do such a good job on that fucking show. Like she is a comic, like comic genius. Like there is nothing funnier than two oh, she's, grown she's ass very adult women. Prolific. Like, they are so funny. She's very prolific comedy. Like if you think mm-hmm. of a recent comedy, she's been in it. Yeah, she was in uh, Bob's Burgers, and it's it's all like one episode appearances. Yeah, she's in Bob's Burgers. She was in Big Mouth, Robot yep. Chicken. She was in BoJack Horseman. Well, actually, what's funny about them being in Big Mouth is they were essentially playing their characters from Pen Fifteen in the episodes of Big Mouth that they were in. So it's really? even funny. Yeah, so it's even it's like even more meta and even more funnier. Like, and I don't even watch Big Mouth, but I did watch those episodes just for them, um, and they are really funny. But anyway, oh. I, I was so shocked when I saw her pull up as Sully. I was like, I know who that is. And I never know who like the extras are. You know what I mean? Like the extra characters are. I so thought I thought she that looked she familiar. Yeah, I, I knew instantly who she was. And I was like, huh, hello there. 
welcome to Kenobi. I was like, it was now, great. She, she is listed on IMDb as being in part five and six as well. Right. IMDb is, of course, not. Uh, yeah, you never not one hundred percent reliable yeah. on everything. However, that that she is listed as being in the next two, and I'm really quite hopeful that she is. I I, I think so too, especially since you know she so much character development she gets towards the end of this episode. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe she might get something else going on forward. Yeah, and the the last note I have for I guess this sequence is the scene where Tala and Obi Wan are approaching the fortress. Mm-hmm. And they have this quick little conversation. It's very quick when she's like, you know, some, some things take longer to heal. And I'm like, that struck me really hard. Like as one of the thesis statements of the show is some things take longer to heal than others. You know, the whole show being about Obi-Wan's grief and loss. I just wanted to bring that up as something I really, really like. Uh, really quickly, uh, apparently while packing today, my boyfriend listened to our celebration episode. I'm a little concerned that I'm going to hear about this after we're done recording. Possibly, actually. I'm, I'm going to hear about this. I wonder what he thought of me going off about the mask thing. We will see. We'll see. In the fortress, Riva tries to get more information on the secrets of the path. Leia claims to not know anything, and Riva promises her freedom in exchange for information. I have no real notes on this section. Just I, the dynamic between them Same. is so good. I sectioned this like, off particularly because of the dynamic. I was just Vivian, like so good. Like, I was like Vivian Lyra Blair and Moses Ingram. Energy of these scenes, they nail it perfectly. You know, in an alternate universe whatever where Riva and Leia get a different ending than what we know in for for as all intents and purposes what we know about Riva and then what we know about Leia and her whole entire journey I want to live in a world or a multiverse world where Riva trained Leia at some point I would live for that I just would like live for mm, I just want Riva, that so Riva who still has her desire for action but none of the trauma yes Training Leia. Yes, that's what I want to see. Force. Like a, a strong, oh my God. Oh, oh, so good. Leia would be unfucking stoppable. Unstoppable. She would be the most prolific Jedi in the galaxy. Uh, Yeah, just it is worth sectioning this off just to highlight the dynamic of these scenes. Right. Good Lord. Meanwhile, Tala's shuttle lands in the hangar and she makes her way to a port control where she allows Kenobi to swim inside the base. Riva attempts a mind probe on Leia and takes her droid from her. And Tala runs a little into a little trouble while navigating Kenobi through the halls. So let's talk about historical genocide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is going a place, trust okay, me. Okay, let's, let's see where this path takes us. So I was listening to a podcast recently called behind the bastards we have mentioned this both aaron uh who is a frequent guest on the show and i are both fans of it they did a two-part episode on basically the history of genocide and how it's shaped and changed throughout history and the second episode in particular talked about sort of modern-ish genocide uh and they were specifically talking about resistance to genocide So when there is a marginalized group that is being targeted for extermination, there are people who are not part of that marginalized group that are trying to help them 
one of the tactics that is extremely effective. And they found that in Germany in the 40s, this was extremely effective. But with a lot of authoritarian regimes, this is a, a really good way to like throw somebody off is just fucking screaming bureaucratic nonsense. There were people who would get like people out of these situations by basically walking up to a customs official with a stack of documents, waving at their face and screaming at them until they let them by. Mm. And if they, they have found that throughout history, if you approach someone like this and you say, well, I'm going to talk to your supervisor, I'm going to talk to the deputy superintendent uh, at the embassy, we're going to have to deal with all of this, people will back off. And the reason they'll do it is because people that live under an authority are, they have it in their brain that they don't want to get in trouble. So Tala is the type of character who is working on one of these like extraction networks. Her job is to get people of a marginalized group, the Jedi, away from a genocide, which is Order 66 and the Great Jedi Purge. Of course, this is a tactic that she's going to know how to do. And of course, it's going to work. So one, that's an actual thing. That is a thing that will happen. Two, uh, I did see some people complaining on Twitter uh, that, quote, the guy backs down because a woman screams at him. Uh, no, he backs down because, one, she's in a, a ranking official. She's a ranking him. officer. Like, yeah, she's a ranking officer. So that's just an army thing. <laughs> but she's like, I will go up to the Grand Inquisitor and I will right, tell him. Himself, and in right. this guy's brain, he's like, I don't want to get in trouble. Well, he's, he's like, I don't want to get killed, is what he's thinking. Because listen, he's dealing with Inquisitors. <laughs> listen, Randos on Twitter, history books, read them. <laughs> this is a thing that really did, it happens, it continues to happen. This continues to be a relatively effective way in these types, specifically in these types of situations. Now, I'm not advocating for people to do it like all the time. Whenever they're in a situation like this, it, you got to be adaptable to the situation. But what I am saying is looking at realistic examples of the type of role that Tala plays, this, this is a really awesome thing that they included. That this is how she manages to get past. Is she just blusters her way past. Right. And this guy's like, well, I don't want to get in trouble. And she is a ranking officer above me. Right. So there's, uh, he's like, he's like, technically, I didn't do anything wrong because she is above me. So if I let her through, the worst that can happen is like, well, I mean, she was a ranking officer. What, what was I going to say? No. Yeah, it's it's on her at this yeah. point. I, Another... I love it. I love it when Star Wars is history parallels. Yeah. I love it when Star Wars is history parallels because then I get to talk about these things. And uh, like talking about the proxy wars earlier, uh, mm -hmm. when I made the joke about uh, Onderon basically just being Afghanistan uh, in terms of like arming the militia. Like I love being able to talk about these history things in the context of here's a Star Wars thing, you know, you may not know the history equivalent. Very, very cool. The gentleman who is playing our, our security officer, his name is Josh Glenny Smith, and he almost has a Disney trifecta all these almost it's like guys come on almost. you're working with disney like let's go he's a, a like all kind of a that guy actor light he's not quite been in enough to qualify him as a that guy actor but yeah. he's got the makings of a that guy actor i see because uh, he's been in a lot of like one episode of things gotcha like he was in an episode of agents of shield that's where our marvel comes from 
He's in like one episode of The Rookie, one episode of NCIS Los Angeles, one episode of SWAT, one episode of Criminal Minds. So like he's he's one of those people. I also do find it interesting that when she says I'm going to go to the Grand Inquisitor, his response is not the Grand Inquisitor is dead. You know, I caught that. And I thought that was weird because I thought she was going to blow her cover by talking about the Grand Inquisitor. And then he was like, nope, I'm just letting you through. Well, it also leads me to believe that maybe not everybody knows the statuses of all the Inquisitors at all times. Like, it's just like, that's just something the Inquisitors keep to themselves. And, you know, they just show up from time to time and people are like, oh, they're back. You know what I mean? So right now, as far as he knows, he's just, he only knows what he needs to know. And that is the Inquisitor is still off. The Grand Inquisitor is still off world, if anything. Or he doesn't even know he got in because maybe they have a secret entrance that they use or something like that are just for them. Yeah, they haven't been like, I find it interesting that they haven't been told, hey, the Grand Inquisitor is dead. I just, I find that extremely interesting. And it's more evidence that the Grand Inquisitor is not dead. Uh, To stack up with other evidence, such as the Grand Inquisitor showing up in things later in the timeline. Yeah, because you can't even make the argument that he thinks that Reva is the Grand Inquisitor because she's not yet, if anything. Like, you know how like the whole thing is that she's in charge now of leading the hunt, but she's not Inquisitor, Grand Inquisitor. So... You can't even use that argument because that's not the case yet. So, yeah, I think he just knows what he needs to know and he doesn't know that the Inquisitor's not there. <laughs> right, or, yeah, he just he hasn't been informed, which I yeah, thought was interesting. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit and then dive back. Just I didn't make a note of this, but I did look him up. While mm-hmm. we're on the subject of Tala's storyline during this section, okay, the gentleman who plays the uh, other officer, the one that she beats the shit out of, which is correct and what you should do to fascists that is a gentleman named david will know he is a big uh stunt performer stunt coordinator stunt double he does a lot of stunt work been in a lot as an actor too so he's an actor and stunt person also imdb has some photos of him shirtless oh Um, well that's always a bonus this is this is very important uh if you were looking for shirtless photos of actors in obi-wan kenobi Dude's been around for a while. Dude's been around since 1993. He's as old as me. I'm saying his career is as old as I am. His his career is as old as you are, yes. That is who that is. So I just wanted to bring that up. So underwater shit is super cool. I love the stuff that's like attached to the bottom of the Fortress Inquisitorius. Yeah. It's like that weird like alien barnacle thing. Like a Ninami thing. Well, this definitely, I know this This movie is supposed to parallel New Hope, you know, because we're rescuing Leia, but I, I Yeah, we're going to get to that in my next note. Right. I think that they were definitely um, channeling Phantom Menace in this particular spot where Kenobi is underwater, swimming, getting into a, another place with a mouth breather thing on or something. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, this very parallels that. You just have prequel brain rot because the, you grew up with them i mean i had to personally apologize to my parents the other day because it only just recently hit me they were not big fans of the phantom menace when it came out but my parents are good parents uh so it, they must have watched the movie probably a hundred times with us because we wanted to watch it and I had to personally, I personally apologized for that the other day. I was like, so I'm sorry we made you watch Attack of the Clones, or not Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace like 18 million times. We did not make them watch Attack of the Clones as much. <laughs> mostly because we had a Phantom Menace on VHS. 
Speaking of uh, A New Hope, so did you notice that Obi-Wan Kenobi is in water and then he emerges and he's completely dry? Okay, so somebody brought that up on Twitter or something I saw. And do, I didn't, do you want to know why it. that is? Yeah, tell me. That is a reference to A New Hope. That is intentional. Uh, in A New Hope, there is a famous interview that Mark Hamill gave where he's like, he, he they're shooting the scene immediately after the trash compactor. And Mark turns to, I believe, Harrison Ford and goes, hey, um, if we just came out of the trash compactor, shouldn't like our hair be wet and matted down? And, and shouldn't we still be like kind of disgusting from the trash compactor? And Harrison looks down at him and goes, kid, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> this it's is so true, though. This is a reference to that. You know what? I'm going to go with the theory that when the port at the bottom is open and you come through the water or something like that, there's a force field thing and it doesn't let any water through. And so if you just walk through it, you just dry off instantly. And that's my yep. fucking, that's my <laughs> mental There's an thing. invisible force field a little yep. above it. Uh-huh. Or exactly. Obi-Wan Kenobi just used the force to drive. It's a, Hell that's yeah. Not how the, he, that's not how the can, force works. He can force run. So why can't he just like super run and run he doesn't force run in this there's a bit where he has to run with his actual legs i know but like you know how like uh i think it's in like the flash or something like whenever he's like wet or something he can just like vibrate really quickly and then just like dry off so like i imagine jedis can do the same thing because <laughs> they can force run so why not just fucking force shake to dry themselves off that's a good theory there you go <laughs> there we go <laughs> is this a staring contest girl <laughs> this was evoking more uh i think it's is it force awakens when kylo it's force tries awakens to, yeah when kylo tries to get inside well it's yeah. also a, a, a inside to a new hope with her resistance to the mind probe is considerable but it is also mm. force like just leia sitting there actively having her mind being a, like assaulted with the force to try to yeah. get in it and not only is she holding reva back she has time to make a quippy one-liner <laughs> she's just sitting there like are you are you staring at me? Like, what's happening? Like, is this a staring contest? Like, but she's so funny. Well, it's clear that she kind of, when Reva stops, she kind of deflates. So Leia very obviously knows what is currently happening to her uh, and is holding Reva okay. back. And it's just being a sassy little shit about it. I'm wondering, though, like, why this isn't like a red flag, though, for Reva. That uh, this little have... girl is able to resist her mind probe so easily. I mean, we're not, I wouldn't say easily, but enough to be significant when just in like the episode before or the two episodes before she got the information out of Haja in three seconds. And then, you know, cause he has a little bit weaker of a mind. So I'm not, uh, I'm not sure that would be, be an interesting question. I think Reva maybe is so focused on Kenobi that she doesn't realize she has an incredibly force sensitive person in front of her. Cause another podcast, I think it might've been first steps brought up that part of the issue is that if Leia started showing like started showing force abilities, this would be a big problem because she's the daughter of an imperial senator. Uh yeah. Okay. So maybe there she just doesn't. Blue can show. move rocks. Yeah. Blue can right. move rocks around. So Reva's like so close to potentially upending the whole thing if she just realizes, wait, this girl is force sensitive. Right. Organa's adopted a Jedi kid. Uh speaking of Reva, I do like the mention of her droid. I desperately want to know more of her backstory. Yeah, that was a, I thought that was way too intentional to be just a throwaway thing. So I was like, either A, we're getting a full on flashback for Reva in like the next two episodes, or 
there is something like where I, if if it is the, the same if we're going with the same theory that she's a little girl from the very first episode in the jedi temple then at some point when she was on the street or something she found a droid or something Probably. as a companion or something to help her or along that's what kept her sane that's, i guess that's what i thought is she wouldn't have had a droid while she was in the temple because attachment is forbidden and that's right this has to be something post order 66 that she would have found or something made a friend uh, in a droid or something and that was what kept her at least and sane, then the droid you know? got taken away i don't right. think they're going to devote a whole episode to a flashback no no, but no i not like by these means, little but... hints of reva's backstory that they're giving us the way they're writing this is they're not just flashing back and telling us they're they're showing us through how she speaks what choices she makes, what intrigues her, what she latches onto. And the fact she latches onto the droid is really interesting. You see, like, there's this, these parallels that, like, maybe Reva and Leia aren't so different because we we know that Leia is Force-sensitive child, you know. And Reva essentially is kind of, in an essence, a child because she's hasn't, you know, had that... She didn't get to kind of finish well, out her childhood. The difference, is, the difference is someone was there for Leia. Right. No one was there for Reba. Speaking of droids, we get to see some secret droids. We've seen those before mm-hmm. in Star Wars Rebels. Love a good Rebels reference. Love well, a good Rebels well, reference. I don't even know if it's a reference again. Again, at this point, is it a reference or is it just something that exists in the world now? Like, you know, you just kind of kind of have to go with it. So the last last couple of notes I have here is the interaction where Reva kind of sits next to her and is like basically weaponizing her own trauma against Leia. They abandoned, trying to play on the exact same issue. She's trying to instill in Leia the same thing that made her break. They abandoned you. No one's coming for you. They weren't willing to save him. They weren't willing to save you. And then Leia's like, okay, let me call my dad. And Reva's like, oh, this fucking girl. (laughs) All this fucking, you can see it in Moses Ingram's face. She's like, this kid okay right tortured now i i just love that whole sequence because it again tells us so much about reva but i also love leia immediately sussing out that like i should ask to talk to my dad because there's no way in hell reva's gonna let me do this well it's almost like the whole like good cop bad cop kind of like i need my lawyer kind of thing because leia realizes like wait a minute I don't think it's right that I'm here by myself. Like I need my representation. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's almost I, like, I oh, need like, my lawyer. Yeah. Where's my lawyer? Like I'm a child and I know what you're doing is not correct. So like, you should probably get my parents here. Reva now being fed up with Leia, not cooperating, prepares her for torture. Meanwhile, Kenobi gains access to a secret chamber where he discovers the remains of several force users on display in an amber like substance. They are just straight up about to torture a 10-year-old. I thought about that. And I was like, the two stormtroopers that are there that grab her and take her to the torture room, essentially. I'm like, y'all aren't going to be like, is this, is this correct? This is or a child. We, is this what is we're an doing actual correct? literal child. Are, are, did we make a bad choice today coming to work? Uh, like, I don't understand. <laughs> are we the baddies? Right, are we the bad guys here? Are we the baddies? Yeah, they are just straight up about to torture a 10-year-old. Yep. What the fuck? Why not? What the fuck? All right, Bradley. Let's talk about the, the stuff you want to talk about. The, the, the real discussion, the meat and bones of this episode right here. You want to hear who's in the amber. 
who who okay. who is in the amber? Oh, also who wait, before in... we talk about who's in the amber, can we talk about like does that mean theoretically they could all still be alive, or are we just going with the fact that uh, they're no, dead? they're dead? Like okay, they're okay, okay. they're That's clearly fine. quite dead. Okay, that that uh, makes more sense to me. I just thought it here's... was a weird choice having it be amber or something that was like you know. I want to give you a little bit of backstory on the Inquisitorius because I okay. need you to understand some of this. So the Inquisitorius was actually based out of the Imperial Palace for the first little bit. So it was in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Vader and the Inquisitors kept breaking things on Coruscant, uh, so they got exiled. Vader got his Doom Fortress on Mustafar, uh, the Inquisitors got the Fortress Inquisitorius on Nur. This means since they have bodies in there dating back to the attack on the Jedi Temple, they were keeping dead Jedi in the basement of the Jedi Temple. And then they had to move them over. <laughs> I want to know whose job it was to put those things in yeah, boxes. So- someone was like, hmm, we got to pack these up nice and ship them off to the <laughs> other planets. The last note before I jump into uh, who those people are, mm-hmm. uh, I just want to shout out Ewan McGregor's acting. The yeah. way his voice breaks on the word tomb when he says this is a tomb, heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Okay, let's get to who's in the amber. So I, I must me. unfortunately disappoint you in that most of them are not people we know. I did think that was kind I of I believe eh, the sad. implication that a yeah. lot of them are in there are that either they are Jedi who are not wearing their Jedi robes. So they are people the Inquisitors have hunted down somewhere else. And there's I a specific think. character that I believe is intended to be Roken's wife. It is the woman we linger on for an extended period of time in like a, a shoulder up shot. Okay. I believe the implication is supposed to be that is Roken's wife, who was a Jedi. That, that would make sense. The other implication is that the, the Inquisitors have been hunting down anyone that is remotely force sensitive and either executing them or turning them into inquisitor because some of these people might be from other four sects that are not necessarily the jedi order however they're oh and there's a fucking kid in there uh with the little training helmet thing on. with the little training helmet still on so i thought that was odd and i believe it is one of the kids from the opening sequence okay i need to go back and look then because yeah i I believe i've seen side by sides i believe it is one of the kids from the opening sequence okay but there's there's one and a half Jedi that we do know in there. The first one that Obi-Wan pauses on and lingers on for an extended period of time. That's probably the biggest one. That's the one that they definitely put in there. Is like, people are going to know who that is. Okay. That is Tara Sanube. Mm-hmm. Tara Sanube appeared in the Clone Wars. Uh, and he does also have a cameo in the High Republic uh, because he is that old. He trains younglings is his thing. Uh. Okay. Uh, he is the Jedi from the episode where Ahsoka loses her lightsaber. He is the one, and also he's like an expert on the criminal underworld in Coruscant. Mm. Like he's a former Jedi, like investigator. Like this mm. dude was basically like Sherlock Holmes for the Jedi Order, and so he like knew all the criminal underworld. Uh, but yeah, we didn't know what happened to him because the oh, last man. we saw him was in season five, and now we do. Uh, they Yikes. they killed his ass. Now, when you when the first shot pops up and it's all of them in amber, Terrace Anube is on the left. The one on the right, uh, 
I do have to make a correction. The thing Charles fucked up when I was talking to some people afterwards, including I think you, Bradley. When I watched it on my phone, which is how I watched it that morning because my computer wasn't set up, it was so small that I thought that might be CISA 10. Uh, however, watching it on the actual screen on, on my TV, that is not CISA 10. That is clearly a different Jedi. Uh, some people online are suggesting it might be a guy named Coleman Cadge. Cadge uh, is an Angry Jedi Master who was on the council. We know that Coleman survived the initial Order 66 because his name appears on the list of survivors of the Purge. Mm. Uh, however, we do not. Have, clearly, they got him if that was him. But that was the only other one. So, yes, right. unfortunately, this is not riddled with Easter eggs. They Damn. wisely, in my opinion, mostly stuck to people we'd never seen before. That's true. It would have been interesting, though, to do like maybe one or two background people from Attack of the Clones. Like, you know how they have all those Jedis in the Coliseum scene? Like, it would have been interesting to see maybe like one or two of them just kind of randomly like. Yeah. Or what? Yeah, one or two of like, I did like that they mostly chose to focus on like clearly people who are not wearing Jedi robes. So these are clearly people the Inquisitors have hunted down. Yep. And encased in amber. Well, I also like that they chose for the one they linger on, at least they they chose someone who maybe would have been really hard to do a live action character at any point in time because of just the because. Well, they also picked somebody that Clone Wars fans would know. Right. So if you've just watched the movies, this is just a random Jedi. If you've watched Clone Wars, you know who Tara Sanube is. You clock that motherfucker immediately. And if you're me, uh, you cried. Don't roll your eyes at me, Bradley. I'm emotional. Sensing Leia's danger, Kenobi asks Tala for a distraction. She gets an audience with Riva and begins a cover story to distract her about how she is an Imperial spy. Meanwhile, Kenobi takes out Leia's guards and they begin their escape. Kenobi, Leia, and Tala eventually join back up and reach the main hangar in the best disguise ever invented in the history of Star Wars. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, Tala references a Florum salvage business. That is probably the closest to a reference to Hondo Onaka we're going to get. But it is there, Florum, the planet that he was based on in the Clone Wars, and then salvage business, what he runs on Betu. There's probably our closest Hondo reference we're going to get. Obi-Wan killing the Stormtroopers fucking rules. Uh, The way they did it, too, was so, like, very Vader-esque, where he disappears and he appears on the other side. You know what I mean? It's very, like... It was it was great use of lighting, great use yeah. of the shadows. It was very Mandalorian. Yeah, that's right. It was yeah. very Mandalorian in its use of the light and shadow. Tala is just a master liar. I love how she's able oh, to like just come up God. with a cover story like on the spot. Like even when Reva freaks her out a little bit because she's like, "You're fucking lying to me," and she's like, "Well, yeah, I am lying because I I'm I'm basically a double agent, but I'm also not a double agent. I'm a triple agent. So that's exactly why I lied. You know what I mean? Like I'm just even I, I have even Reva's impressed. Like yeah, oh, damn. She's like I'm not you're sure if you're lying, but I'm gonna double check on this later. <laughs> we'll circle back. Uh, we do get a cameo from our favorite sound, the Imperial Klaxon. Love that sound. Love that. Uh, Tala then takes out the stormtroopers, and I want to address some more bad faith criticism that I'm hearing, uh, which is she just sort of slaps them <laughs> in the face. Yeah, I'm and like, they're like, hey. is this what passes for fight choreography nowadays? I mean, I guess it's just one of those things. Like, maybe she hit them so hard they knocked them out. It's like whatever. No, they, she doesn't. Well, here's what exactly happens in the scene. So okay. one, 
one, she is not trying to incapacitate them. She's not trying to knock them out then and there. What she does, flashback to A New Hope. You remember that movie from 1977? You remember the Star Wars movie? Do you remember how in the Star Wars movie, uh, Luke comments on the fact that you can't see anything out of Stormtrooper helmets? She whacks them on the eye visor. It's already hard to see out of the the stormtrooper helmets and she goes and whacks them right in the the visor and knocks the thing off she's not trying to knock them out she's trying to disorient them because what does she do grabs the gun yeah and fumbles for the gun it is difficult for her to get the gun Hmm. she doesn't just seamlessly like whack them and grab it and go she has to kind of fumble for it and clearly she's doing the best job she can so that's what's happening in this sequence she's trying to blind them long enough to get the gun to fucking shoot them which is correct so that's that's my mini rant on uh the like talon knocking out scene uh we can move on to just obi-wan getting his own hallway scene oh yeah i kind of yeah I, it's it's hard to fit all of the action into the little tiny paragraph that i said but it's just you know it's great it's yeah it's, it's a staple of modern star wars the hallway scene but he gets his own uh, we also get, uh, as Riva is, is racing towards him, uh, we get our first look at Purge Troopers. I noticed that. I was like, they got, they snuck one in there. They snuck a couple of them in there. There yeah. was actual Purge Troopers, which makes sense. Purge Troopers, they are Jedi Hunters. Uh, I do like how Obi-Wan isn't perfect. Like he, he whacks the window with the bolt. Right. Like he makes mistakes in these fight scenes. And I really dig that. I also dig the floating stormtroopers. I thought that was very funny. Oh, when the doors close and then the doors close and they just there's lingering a shot and they're just kind of they've like they've drowned and died horrible deaths, but also like they're fascists, so who cares? But I love the bodies just sort of floating along. I also love that next to the body you see like a school of fish or something all of a sudden like it's like they're already like adapting to the environment. They're just like, Oh yeah, this is a new spot. The fish are used to this by now. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, the Inquisitors chucked the stormtroopers out again. Uh, my my final note on this sequence uh, is that <laughs> so you talk about the disguises, the <laughs> fact that they wrap Leia up. Yeah. But what I'm not seeing people talk about is they literally walk right by the fifth brother and fourth sister. Yeah, they they just kind of literally walk just right walk by right them. next to them. They're like, all right, bye. Well, because you pointed out early in the episode that it's not well lit it's really dark yeah essentially it's not well lit and people who are in these fortresses like are going to be trained not to pay attention to stuff so right, if they see somebody in walking by in imperial uniforms their gaze yeah. is going to bounce directly off them the disguise doesn't have to be good it just has to be good enough to get them to the hangar which it is right and then also, I feel like the fifth brother and the Inquisitors in general give off a very energy of, you know, unless you're more important than me, I don't see you. Everybody around Correct. me is invis- invisible, essentially, unless you're important. And to them, Imperials are not important. They're just the people that work there. They're like, just, yeah. So, of course, Tala and yeah. Obi-Wan are just going to walk right by. Right. Obi-Wan, as chunky as he is, is going to walk right on by. It gave me flashbacks to uh, Solo, where we have uh, the one character who has the uh, outfit on disguising him, the Ardinian who's disguising himself. Yep. And then he's like scratches his butt with his extra hand. And then you're just like, 
mm, something's not right here. <laughs> well, here's the thing about disguises. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just right. has to be good enough to exactly. work. Before the group can escape, they are surrounded by troopers and Riva. But they are saved by Tala's friends in airspeeders. During the confusion, the group escape in one of the speeders, and Riva is able to take one down before he escapes with the group. Tala is my favorite character in this. You you betrayed everything you were. This was never who I was. I, I lo- love I, her I'll, so much. Her, her character, I, I like how she's getting a lot of character, not necessarily development, but just FaceTime. Like I I she could be an easy, like just one episode throwaway character that they had. And I love that, like, she's in the, you know, the third episode, she's in the fourth episode, so now she's going to be in the fifth, and honestly, probably the sixth, like, if they're just I really hope she survives. I really am scared for her. I really like her, because I feel like she's the kind of character who you could keep around, and then, like, she's kind of not, not necessarily the rebellion, but you know what I mean, like, she's the ones who kind of help start that. right. This is the small pockets of insurgency that will eventually become the rebel cells, which will eventually be united. Uh, I do like how when Reva is confronting them in the hangar, some people are still walking around randomly. Like the hangar doesn't stop. They're like, guys, we have a deadline today. Like we got to get our shipment out. Like we We don't have time for whatever. We got to go. Like we have things to do. Like (laughs) I don't have time for this. Yeah. These dumb inquisitors are messing up our schedule again today. Like I don't understand. (laughs) It's like my lunch breaks in 15 minutes. I got to go guys. I'm not going to deal with this. I I rewound it just to make sure I was like, yeah, there's people just still walking around. Yeah. Why not? Reva's out here. Lightsaber is out. Line of purge troopers and stormtroopers, And some people are just like, meh. Yeah, they got it. Uh, when the airspeeders show up, a mouse droid does get shot. Uh, that was unnecessary. Uh, I did note this as being unnecessary and homophobic yeah, during Pride it was, Month. It was wrong. I was like, uh, mm-hmm. as we know, mouse droids are canonically used for gay sexting. So uh, this does strike me as homophobic during Pride Month. Not another uh, Tarkin Talk situation on our hands. Do not speak to me of Tarkin Talk, all right? Claudia knows what you did. <laughs> R.I.P. Wade. I do like how it was resonant to Sully. I do agree with you that I wish we'd gotten a little more time with him before he died. Right. It's it's not that. I mean, I get it. One of them had to die or something. But I I mean, did they though? Like theoretically, they both could have gotten away. It didn't have to be like that big of a deal. I think that was more just well, Reva's has to rage. Look good. You know? It has yeah. to look good. So Reva clearly is going to let both of them go. Right. And the fifth brother runs up and is like, you need to stop them. So what does she do? She takes out the speeder that, does, doesn't, that doesn't have, have them the on tracker it. Yeah. on it. Right. I thought that was interesting. because, And especially the one where they clearly all get into the one. So in the fifth brother's mind, he'd be like, oh, go after the one that they're getting on. Get, get and that the, one. Yeah. Take and out she, that she one. She deliberately like, no, takes she the, the random one. one. Yeah. So smart. Yeah. Which is a good choice if you know that she's planted a tracker, which we'll get to in a minute. Later, a furious Darth Vader meets with the Inquisitors. He almost kills Reva for her failures. However, she reveals that she is tracking the group, thus revealing the location of Kenobi and the path. Vader, pleased, spares her. Meanwhile, the group has escaped, though somewhat defeated with the loss of the other pilot. Close-up of Leia's droid Lola beeping and glowing red reveals that Reva actually put the tracker in Lola. So Vader is fucking terrifying when he's pissed. <laughs> he's got, like, he was about to fucking just rip her in half. Like he was about to just straight up murder her, like in the conference room done. I thought it was great, especially since he was force choking her the whole time. It was fantastic. 
Oh yeah. And and she's lucky or she's lucky that he stopped to like ask her questions because he really probably would have just killed her right yeah, then and there. For sure, for sure. Uh, I am going to need the fifth brother to shut the hell up though. Cause he's like, the base was almost destroyed. Uh, my, my dude, my brother and the Sith, they broke one window. They flooded one hallway. One hallway, right. One hallway, oh, right? Lord. Like, shut up, dude. Yes, so it does turn out Reva's like, oh, I put a tracker on them. She's which, so smart. So smart. Well, again, I mentioned this earlier. She's covered every possibility. So right. if she gets Kenobi here and now, great. If they look like they're going to escape, she'll let them go and take him. She'll take them back to the path. Right. It's that's like really a love. it's a win-win-win situation. So everybody wins <laughs> except for Kenobi. Uh, when they're back on the ship, I do like that they kind of segment off and, and Tala goes to like comfort Sully, give Sully like a drink of something. Yeah. Because uh, the loss of weight is clearly devastating. I do like that Tala took the time to like sit with Sully and I get it so we can move her off so we can have our little handhold moment. I did. I did like it mm-hmm. as a way to remove her. The little handhold though. Yeah, oh my God. Oh my God. This this is why Leia gets so freaking excited when she learns Ben Kenobi is on the Death Star. Because she has that connection to him, which is so, again, it's just enhancing a new hope for everybody, I, I think. It's just going to enhance the rewatchability. It is, it is. It's already enhanced my rewatchability. I'm, I'm excited to see where this relationship goes. Right. Especially since Lola is the tracker. Speaking of enhancing a new hope, they leave the Death Star and Leia immediately goes, they let us go. There is a tracker on the ship. I how if, like, do she's... you think Leia knows how that they do that? She remembers. <laughs> I wonder if this has happened before. Something in her childhood. I don't know. Although it doesn't bode well for Lola's uh, existence moving forward. Yes. <laughs> I do feel like Lola is not going to make it out of this series. I don't think she will, unfortunately. Because, well, one, we know that Leia doesn't have it when she's an adult. Not that that means anything because it could be just like a child droid or something. But the other thing is, well, now that it's a tracker, I'm assuming either Kenobi will discover it or Tala or somebody and then they'll destroy it at some point before it's too late. I mean, obviously it'll be too late, but they'll destroy it. Just obviously to be it'll like, be too late. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're into the original trilogy now. and We've done A New Hope. And what happens after A New Hope? Empire Strikes Empire back. Strikes Back. We're about to do the, the Dark Knight of the Soul here. Yeah, I'm so excited. I, I honestly feel like this is going to be the best episode. I do feel it. I feel it in my bones. I think it's going to be very, very hard to top episode one for me. Well, yeah. I think episode one is, we'll see. We'll see where they go with these last two. I don't know. I'm excited. So I guess I'll go into my final thoughts because this is... Uh, go right into your final thoughts. Yeah, Let's go. I, I, I think like, like people said, like you said, this was a filler episode. I don't believe that. I just feel like this is the small moment that we needed in the middle of the break, essentially a break in the story to kind of like set in motion the events of the finale. We are getting, the, this is the midway point. This is truly the middle section that is bisecting the finale with the the first half of the series. This is act and, two. Yeah, so. Or this is act two. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I definitely, I thought it was great. It was very a self-contained, you know, kind of story. I, I do think, yes, it will be stronger in the rewatch, 
because you'll get to see kind of all of it together. Um, however, I thought this kidnapping of Leia and rescuing Leia was a little bit better than the last one because it was just the last one seemed, uh, you know, kind of almost like, oh, it's just these random guys who stole her. And then like, you have to go get her. It just set the emotions or the motions of the whole entire series. But this one was more deliberate and like a plot to really like get Kenobi to come get her. So, yeah, I mean, I, my final thoughts are I echo that I'm, I'm really excited for what's going to come up in the next, um, the next two episodes where we're, the minute I saw the tracker, I was like, oh yeah, this is not going to end well for the path next episode. I think this series has done a really good job of being something that's new and fresh and doesn't just wallow in everything that's happened before while at the same time honoring not just the films, but all of the canon that's been built. Mm. I remember reading Resistance Reborn and Resistance Reborn, which was a tie-in novel for Rise of Skywalker, they brought in a lot of characters from different books and comics and games and stuff that had been set in the sequel trilogy era. So if you read Resistance Reborn after reading a lot of this stuff, it's very rewarding to you. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think, has is, is set that good balance to where you can only have watched the films and watch it and still completely understand what's going on. But if you have consumed more of the media, you know, Clone Wars, Fallen Order, all that, uh, Journals of Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's going to hit a lot harder for you. And I really like All righty. Well, we are finally caught up, Bradley. I know. I'm so ready for a Wednesday. You know, this this episode will come out on Friday after the fifth episode is aired. So we will not have a, we'll be back on schedule on Monday with a, a new episode for episode five. So I'm excited that we're, we're caught up and we're, we're going to be ready to watch a new episode this week. Yep. I am one more sleep to, well, two more sleeps for you till Obi-Wan Kenobi episode five. One more for me since it drops at midnight my time. No, that's true. Because I live on the better coast. Actually, I <laughs> I don't. Uh, this one's constantly on fire and falling into the ocean. Yeah. Um, so maybe actually stay on the East Coast. Maybe. Uh, that that maybe is my advice. All right, Bradley, run the fucking socials since I have to tell you how to do everything around here. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gates. Did Charles fuck something up? Email us and let us know at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. Welcome to the show about lesbians called Lesbian Stargaze. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. <laughs>